0: Would you open your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians fifteen three through 10 for today's scripture reading. 1 Corinthians fifteen three through 10 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Before we get into 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, two weeks from tonight, we will be praying together with fellow believers over at Traders Point Christian Church. And uh, that's uh, citywide prayer focus, really want you to be able to be there. And as well, a part of that prayer time is to pray over men and women involved in law enforcement. So if you know somebody, or if that fits uh, your uh, career, uh, we'd love to have you be there, have, be able to pray over your uh, families. Maybe you want to invite someone this week. Maybe you'll, uh, come in contact with a police officer this week and, uh, you would like to invite him and her, uh, to the service. That would be a providential appointment where you've received the vengeance of God in your life and want to make something good out of it. So, um, yeah, so just ask for forgiveness and then invite him to come and be prayed for, okay? So that's next, uh, not next Sunday, but Sunday, I think it's the 14th of September. So, um, Let's, uh, let's be there and uh, pray for the needs of our city. Let's pray now. Father, help us. We need to understand who we are and where we belong and what life is all about. And we thank you that your word uh, gives us the script by which we could live. And so as we deal today with the past, would you help us to know how to apply your word in a very complicated and emotional category? So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine with me three scenes and the kind of feelings that are created in them. You you walk down to your mailbox at the end of your driveway, you open the mailbox lid, and inside are a bunch of um, magazines, um, publications mailers and some letters you grab those and as you walk up the driveway you kind of begin leafing through them and you notice an invitation you put the mail under your arm and you open the invitation because you don't really know what this invitation to and as you pull out the invitation in big bold blue letters it says class reunion for a few of you you went oh awesome for for many more it was oh Kind of like how you felt when someone gave you the ice bucket challenge, right? (laughs) Here's another one. The the way you ended your last job was really painful. It's hard to describe the humiliation of what it means to pack all your things in a box and then be escorted out by security. You'd heard that there were problems, but your boss told you that you weren't going to lose your job, and... He made promises and assurances and then overnight everything changed and suddenly you're out the door and for the next two weeks every morning the first thought in your head is, that was so unfair, it was completely betrayed, and how in the world can they get away with that? Third scene. Some of you know exactly where you were sitting When, as an eight-year-old child, your parents said, Honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but Mom and Dad are getting a divorce. Strange how just your world comes apart instantly in that moment. Dad moves out. Suddenly there's this thing called weekend visitation. You feel like you're in competition between two people who you love. And then for most of your junior high and high school years, it was really awkward when people asked you about your family. You sense that people wanted to ask, how how did that happen? And yet they don't, and you're sort of glad they don't, because that's a really painful thing when you're an eight-year-old kid. All three of those stories connect to the word past. And today we are going to try and deal with the matter of the past, of either what was done to us or what we did to someone else. And when it comes to our identity, big questions like, who am I? Where do I belong? And what is the meaning of life? Events from our past can be both defining and they can also be devastating. And today what I want to do is kind of jump into this arena of I am what I have been through and help us all understand how our past relates to the story of the gospel. We'll begin next week again our study of Romans. And what's really wonderful is that Romans chapter 5 continues really this idea of building on our identity. Our our The title for next week's message is Peace with God Means Hope in Hardship. And so we're just going to kind of continue this theme right into Romans, because what you'll find is that identity is not a special little series. Identity is the essence of what the gospel was meant to change and what you were meant to be. So today we're going to address this issue of the past. What I want to do before we jump into 1 Corinthians 15 is to give you a bit of a framework for understanding the past. And, and the reason that I want to do this is because the, the more that I leaned into this and researched and consulted with some people, the more I realized that the past is incredibly complicated. And, and we all have a past, and we're all coming to the subject of the past from various different angles. Steve Vyers, who pastors Faith Church in Lafayette, has written a book called Putting Your Past in Its Place. And in the book, he gives a helpful way to think about our past. Here's what he says, you can think of the past, first of all, in two buckets, whether you're innocent or guilty, meaning what happened in your past was either A, your fault, or B, not your fault. So there are things that happen to you that you have no fault in, and there are other things in your past that, truth be told, it's on you. And so when we think about the past, we all come to the past from this various framework. Some of us have things in our past that we're ashamed of in terms of what we've done and things from our past that we're really ashamed of because of what someone else did to us. And then along with that, there's another category on the side there. You see that no matter whether you were guilty or innocent, the question also is, how did you respond? And some of us, when things, bad, bad things happened to us, we responded really well. Others of us responded really poorly other times, things we were guilty of, we understood that we were guilty, and then we made the best of it and responded, well, we repented, and it's a great story. And others, what we did, what was wrong, and then it's been compounded because We've continued to respond poorly, and we've added grief upon grief upon grief. So when, when we come to the issue of the past, I know that it's a, a loaded dynamic, but what's helpful to me about that framework is it identifies, first and foremost, that the past is really complicated. Some of you struggle with feelings of guilt, regret, and shame because of what you've done others struggle with issues like the unfairness of what was done to me the suffering that seems so pointless and then how it even relates to your view of god because you have huge questions like who am i and for that matter and who are you that you let this happen to me the framework is also helpful because it identifies the important element of our response Because some of you have responded really well to your past failures. Some of you have responded really well to sufferings in the past, and you see it as a triumph of God's grace, that that thing is not holding you back anymore. And then there's others who you're still dealing with the ramifications of what someone did to you or what you have done to somebody else. And so we come to the subject of the past From a lot of different angles, and so I just want to start from the very beginning by acknowledging the complexity and the emotion of this subject. I'm sure there's some of you, when you saw this title, I've Been What I've Been Through, you didn't want to come today. I'm so glad you did. There's others of you that you're probably somewhere in your mind just hoping that somehow I can fix in 35 minutes what's been a lifelong struggle. And I don't, I don't think that's fully going to happen. I think I, we might be, I might be able to help you, but I, I don't think it's, like it's going to sh- just immediately change. So can we just start from this framework that every single person in this room has a past. And every one of our pasts is filled with imperfection. There is no family on planet Earth that doesn't have some elements of dysfunction in it. So if you're ever hanging out with your family and you're like, man, we are like messed up. You just need to know everyone's messed up. If you go to a family reunion and you get in the car and you're like, go, 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 go. (laughs) Just know there's a lot of people who feel the same way if you think if you think that perfect parents produce perfect children you have a garden of eden problem and if you think that a perfect man never is afraid you have a garden of gethsemane problem you see life is messy we all have a past we all are imperfect and yet god's word speaks to us, and I think is really helpful. So let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say in First Corinthians 15. There's a number of things that the Bible says about the past. I'm going to give you four of them. There, there's, there's a boatload. This isn't an all-encompassing treatment of dealing with the past, but I think that there's some things in First Corinthians 15 that could be really helpful, because the Apostle Paul was a man who had a scandalous past. It was a public past. And therefore, his teaching on how to handle our past when we've blown it is really helpful. He was also a man who knew suffering, and he knew what it was like to suffer unfairly at the hands of other people. First Corinthians 15 is set in the context of a broader book called First Corinthians, where Paul is writing to a church that, frankly, was rather arrogant, and they didn't treat the Apostle Paul very well. They, they were filled with divisions. Some people said, I, I follow Peter. Some said, I follow Apollos. Some people said, well, I follow Paul. They're kind of divided. They're, they're rather arrogant. They think that they know how they should be living. They're guilty of tolerating various sinful things in the church. They were guilty of judging him and even saying things like this. This is 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10. His letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are worthless. They're going after him. They're in effect pushing back on what he wants them to do. His call for them to be faithful to the gospel. And they're in effect saying to Paul, who do you think you are? And why should we listen to you? And so what are they going after? They're going after his identity. And so what Paul does is he defends himself, but he's really not defending himself as much as he's defending the gospel and his apostleship. And in doing so, it helps us to understand, how does Paul deal with his past? Therefore, how we how should we deal with our past? Here's the first thing. Paul started with the gospel, and so should we. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That is a very important statement. In fact, it's a foundational statement. If you don't understand, believe, and make that statement the essence of your life, you cannot, you will not be able to effectively deal with your past, and everything else I'm going to say in this message will not make sense, and it isn't for you unless you first come to terms with that statement, that Christ died for my sins in accordance with the scriptures. Paul starts here, Because this one idea is the one idea that changes all other ideas. This one reality of Christ died for my sins is the one identity that transforms all other identities. Last week I tried to summarize the gospel script for you by giving you four statements to remember. The the gospel narrative is much larger and broader than just these four statements, but I wanted to do it in such a way that hopefully you could repeat it and remember it when you need to rehearse the gospel script. And it's this, that God is holy, I am not, Jesus saves, and Christ is my life. This has been helpful for even me. I say even me, because there's sometimes that I say things, even in preaching, and I get done, and I'm like, that was really helpful. And that was helpful for me to rehearse. So, like, Monday of this week, I'm out on a run, and I'm rehearsing these truths. God is holy. I am not. Jesus saves. Christ is my life. And I'm just rehearsing the gospel. God is holy. It means that He's the most lovely, most beautiful, the most fabulous, most attractive, most endearing reality in all of the universe because He is holy. I am not. It means that fundamentally my problem is sin. It is my separation from God, my internal and external brokenness that was reflected in what I do and why I want to do the things that I do. It means that I am not holy. I need help. The answer? Jesus saves. The conclusion of the Bible is that I can't fix myself. I need someone else. God sends His Son in order to be the atonement for my sin. And by receiving Christ, Jesus saves me such that Christ then is my life. If I were to die and stand before God and he were to say, Mark, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer on that day is Christ is my life. That's why. The only reason that I have any hope in life, the only reason that I can live, the only reason that I can look at my past and look at my future and have any hope in it all is because the fundamental reality that Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures means that now Christ is my life. We start with the Gospel. The effect of the gospel is that God changes something so deep, so personal, so intimate, the the biblical language connected to it is things like he gives you a new heart, he gives you a new self, or Jesus said, you are born again. So in order to effectively deal with the past, that's what we're talking about, the past, you have to understand your identity in light of the past through understanding the gospel. You have to deal with the reason behind your past. In other words, why do you do the things that you do? Or better, why did you do the things that you did? Or why did that thing happen to you? Some of you have been searching for that answer your entire life. Why did this have to happen to me? Why did this happen? Why did they do that? Why did they treat me this way? Or why did I do this? How could I have been so blind? The answer to both questions are the same. The world is broken. It's filled with sin. Either your sin or the sins of others. And the Bible, through the Gospel, is the only record that helps us to interpret why things go wrong in life. Instead, I find that there are people who try and cope and compensate. Some of you have tried that. You've spent years trying to figure out why you did what you did. You've tried to analyze it, psychoanalyze it you've talked to people about it you've tried to justify it compare yourself to other people ask lots of questions and the, it just feels like you're going around and around and around and around some of you have struggled because of what happened to you with bitterness with anger some of you have bounced from relationships to relationships and some you've ruined relationships because this past thing just keeps showing up or you've tried to drown the pain By sleeping, by overworking, or by giving your mind and body to a substance to try and just numb the nagging ache in your soul. Maybe... Maybe you sat through the last three weeks of this identity series and you're starting to realize that the real need in your life and the real issue in your identity is the fact that you've never settled the fundamental spiritual issue in your life and that is a personal relationship with Jesus. And you know, as we come to the end of the series, there would be nothing greater, no greater joy in my soul, nothing more I could long for you than for you to understand the beauty of what it means for that text, for Christ to having died, for your sins according to the scriptures to become your very own, that you could understand what it means to turn from your sin and confess, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my life. see the reality is you cannot deal with your own identity and you can't address your identity as it relates to your past without coming terms without coming to terms with the gospel it is the one thing that changes everything it is the identity underneath all other identities it's the explanation under all other questions it it answers the question why and who and you can't deal with your past unless you first deal with the gospel so Paul starts with the gospel. Here's the second thing. It's beautiful. When you understand this beauty, beautiful thing called the gospel, you're able to be honest about your past. Look at verse 8. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, we just kind of fly over that word persecuted. It's just, it's, it's so sterile. But just think of what that word meant to the Apostle Paul. Prior to his conversion, the Apostle Paul led the most organized, systematic, and widespread arrest, torture, and murder of Christians that the church had seen to that date. At his hands... There were people who bore the marks of his orders for persecution and beatings. He showed up in gatherings of believers and there must have been people who brothers or sisters had been put in prison because of the Apostle Paul or who Paul had given the order to have that person executed. Paul had a scandalous past and no doubt every time he was in contact with believers, his past was front and center. So when he says, I persecuted the church, this is no sterile term. This is the thing that would constantly haunt Paul were it not for the gospel. Imagine what it must have been like. It's No wonder that Paul talks about his past, not only here, but in other places in the Scriptures. Look at Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And 1 Timothy 1.13. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. So what Paul does is he's candid and honest about his past. There was no denying it, but in light of the gospel... Because something greater had come into the equation, as we'll see in a moment, Paul was able to be honest about where he, or what he had been saved from. As well, he had been unfairly treated countless times. Second Corinthians 11 lists Paul's imprisonments, that he had been subjected to countless beatings nearly being killed numerous times. He says, 39 lashes he suffered at the hands of the Jews, beaten with rods three times, once he was even stoned. Paul knew what it was like to be lied about, he knew what it was like to be denied, and he knew what it was like to be betrayed. So Paul gets it when it comes to suffering and things that aren't fair. And he also gets it when it comes to having a past that is scandalous. And yet, what is so compelling about what he does in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians and in 1 Timothy is that he acknowledges those events as a reality, but not as the ultimate reality. And I hope that could happen for you, because there's a bunch of people who, their past, they just they act as though it's not real. They deny it, they hide from it, they they try and downplay it, figure it out, blame it on others, etc., 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 and they deny the reality of the past. There's other people who are so beholden to that past that it so defines them, it alters their future relationships and everything about their identity. is all stuck in the past. It happened ten years ago, but it's still informing today. You see, the beautiful thing that Paul does is he acknowledges that past is real, but it is not the ultimate reality. That past is there. But it's not ultimately who I am. Third, what he does is he eclipses his past with grace. Look at verse 10. Something really important happens in First Corinthians 15 and verse 10, and it's not the only place in the Bible <clears throat> excuse me, where we find it. Verse 10 says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. The most important phrase there is the term, but by the grace of God. It's the turn. Paul says, I was a persecutor, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He didn't deny it. He didn't diminish it. He didn't become defensive about it. And he also didn't become defeated by it. His past was his past, and his past became the means by which God then applied his grace. I love the word eclipse. In fact, if you're around College Park for very long or around me, you're going to hear me use that word. I love the word because for me, it helps to balance the need to acknowledge that the thing that happened in the past, whether it was suffering or whether it was your own sinfulness, that thing is real. And I find way too many people who deny the reality of that. Either they deny that suffering is really, really hard. They think that real Christians walk through suffering saying, oh yeah, this is easy. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity says, this is hard. This is like gut-wrenching. I don't know if I'm going to make it hard, but God is going to help me. That's real Christianity. Real Christianity isn't saying, oh yeah, I didn't have a past. I had some things, but I'm not as bad as most people. Real Christianity says, I was a wretched, horrible, awful sinner, and I've ruined so many things in my lifetime, I can't even believe it. But God, in his mercy, rescued me. That's real Christianity and that's where eclipse comes in because what eclipse is it acknowledges the reality of one thing but it also acknowledges that something has come in front of that other thing and this thing that eclipses our past is grace so that everything that paul sees he sees now through a lens of grace this by the way is not the only place where paul does it does this he does it in first timothy chapter 1 where he says this though formerly i was a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent opponent and then he says this but i received mercy so you'll see it all over paul i was this i was this i was this but i received mercy later on first timothy chapter 1 and verse 16 he says or verse 15 this saying is trustworthy deserving a full acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the foremost meaning you're the biggest sinner that you know You can guess what I've done. I can guess what you've done. You're the biggest sinner that you know. I'm the biggest sinner that I know. Paul didn't diminish his sinfulness. Instead, he eclipsed it with the grace of God. He says, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy. You see? There is something beautiful and liberating about the eclipsing power of God's grace. It has the potential to make your dark past the platform upon which the glory of God is displayed. It also has the possibility to take really bad things that have happened to you and be the platform upon which God's name is magnified. So Joseph does this in the book of Genesis. His, his brothers sold him into slavery. And when he has opportunity to enact his vengeance... He says famously in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You know, so what he does, he eclipses it. He doesn't diminish his brother's sinfulness. He doesn't say, I know we grew up in a dysfunctional home. Dad preferred me, kind of this double marriage thing. It was kind of weird. And I know there were issues and we had a counselor. His name was Jake. You know, he didn't have all this stuff. Instead, what does he say? He says, you meant it for evil. He didn't say, you probably didn't mean to sell me into slavery. This is a big mix-up. You thought it was a ride or something, you know, and they just kept going. they, They knew what was going on. You meant it for evil. How is he not bitter? Because he knows that God meant it for good. You see, this is the potential freedom that comes if you find your identity in not what people have done to you or in what you have done, but rather in the beauty of what God has done to you by grace. Rather than having your identity shaped only by the events of your past, you can now see the events of your past as either A, working out for your good, or B, the evident display of God's kindness to you that you didn't deserve. The challenge is, though, you can't eclipse the past if you haven't tasted and seen the Lord's grace. If you don't live by god's grace you can't you can't see the past through that lens it's like It's like a pair of glasses I mean, I've been here long enough. you knew the day i didn't have to wear glasses up here and then something happened. I started dying and i'm'm I'm, I'm laying in bed like three weeks ago and I don't have my glasses on. I'm trying to read something. And I said to my wife, my goodness, like I got something in my eye. She's like, what? So I said, it's all blurry. I can't see a thing. And I said, wait a minute. And I'm like, oh, no, you know. I'm like, look at this. She's like, what's the problem? I said, look how, f-. I'm like, oh, look at me. I can't, I can't oh, this is awful. And I'm like, oh, no. So I put on my glasses. And suddenly now it's clear. I can, I can see it. And this is, this is what the gospel does. You look back on your life; it gets all fuzzy. You're like, "Why? What was the purpose of that? How how did all that work out?" You put it on the lens of grace, and you're like, "Whoa!" Doesn't mean you're going to understand everything, but it means you can understand some things. It means you can put on the lens of God's grace and realize that everything that happens to you, God somehow, some way is working it all out for your good. You don't understand all the ramifications or all the way that that works out, but the lens of the gospel means that God has aims and purposes in your life that would blow your mind. He's so gracious and so kind, and so therefore you have to trust Him that He knows what He's doing. The lens of His grace means you can look at the bad things that you've done, even though you are so filled with shame and regret, and you know what? Yeah, you did mess up. You messed up royally. But God was kind to you, and His grace has eclipsed your sin. That's the beautiful thing. So how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with shame? It means you put on the lens of God's grace. When I was writing the sermon, a song came to mind. It was sung years ago by Larnell Harris. I'm really dating myself with that name, man. The song is, were it not for grace, the lyrics go like this, were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere, with my salvation up to me, and I know how that would go. The battles I would face, forever running, but losing the race, were it not for grace. So you know what progress looks like? Progress looks like being able to Eclipse the past with God's grace, whether what happened to you or what you did to others. It doesn't mean that one day you just boom you feel differently about it forever. It means that over time you begin to apply more and more grace. So the application of God's mercy to your life becomes more effective. It means there may be still some mornings you wake up and instantly a thought comes to your mind, you're like, what was I? thinking doesn't mean those thoughts just go away but it means instead you're able to capture them more quickly and put them under the umbrella of god's grace It doesn't mean that the bitterness or the anger of the past won't ever resurface, but it means you're not beholden to it and you're able to cover it with God's grace. So don't panic if all of a sudden you feel really strong emotions or somehow I feel bad again or I feel shame again. It doesn't mean that you're not in the process of moving forward. Instead, what that means is you need to continue to apply God's grace and grace and grace. And the beautiful thing about the Christian life is we apply God's grace to our lives all throughout our lives. Until the very end of our lives, that's when that journey ends. Here's the fourth thing. And that is, we are to live on God's grace. Look at verse 10, the second half. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. Or another translation says, was not of no effect On the contrary, he says this, I worked harder than any of them. When I read that, I I laughed out loud. Paul, I mean, I worked harder than any of them? I mean, can you imagine James reading this? Here's what Paul said. I worked hard. Hey, hold on a second here, right? Or Peter, he went, I had to work hard too. I work. How can Paul say that? Here's why. Because his past was really colorful. And the fact of the matter is he knew how hard he had to work. This is how free Paul is in his identity. He knows the reality of what his past meant. And yet even in that working, notice what he says. I had to work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me beautiful even though he knows i had to work hard but even in my working i know this isn't me this is god's grace happening this is god's grace flowing through me so when you read the scriptures the reason you read them is so that you can build a biblical lens through which you can see your path your, your past and such that you can then breathe and incorporate god's grace into your life so don't be surprised you, you neglect time in the word guess what you're going to feel guilty really fast You're not going to be able to process suffering and hardship. The reality is that the Bible gives us the lens through which we we see life. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. Notice that he's going to work hard, but he also realizes the power is not in him. And this will help him not only to be humble, but also to avoid the problem that happens so often with our past, and that is overreaction. Some of you parents, you're raising children, they're just about in their teenage world, and you and your spouse have had this conversation. They are not going to fail like we did in their dating relationships. And so you've jumped from what you did to the military zone, right? There's going to be forms that have to be filled out. We're going to attach, a, we're going to create a dating drone, right? They have to... Have to um, We're a GoPro hat, you know. We're gonna all of this, and, and you've just taken on this approach of that's not gonna happen in my house. And the reality is, while your desire is commendable, your solution is law, and you need grace. We can't fix the past by being sure it never happens to our children. Instead, we have to help them understand the beauty of the gospel We have to understand the beauty of what it means for our identity to be found in christ that's one example you could take a hundred in terms of the overreaction either to our past or to suffering i don't want my kids to hurt like i hurt Or, I don't want my kids to grow up in a a marriage that's dysfunctional, so we're going to have the perfect marriage. And instead of mom and dad getting divorced, instead you got a mom and dad who live with such intensity that everyone's miserable. Because they're bound to determine everyone's going to be happy. Be happy! And it doesn't work. Because the dependency is not on God's grace. So what are the implications of this? Let me, let me just give you a few. We come from all walks of life. First, you may be here, and when we talk about the issue of the past, the fact of the matter is you kind of wish you had a past. I mean, you hear people give testimonies And they give like really cool testimonies. Like people who are saved. Like dramatic conversion stories. Like they're going down this path. And God like rescued them and saved them. And your testimony starts like this. I was raised in a Christian home and I was saved when I was like five. And my uh, parents loved me and walked righteously. And you feel like it's the lame-o testimony. And I want to tell you, that is the most glorious testimony ever. Thank God for the mercy that He birthed you into a Christian home, that He called you by His mercy when you were a young child, and He gave you little lenses through which to see life. And granted, you're not perfect, and you're not going to be devoid of suffering, and you're still going to make mistakes, but you ought not look at that testimony as somehow it's a junior varsity testimony that God birthed you into a Christian home when you understood the gospel early in life. You ought to thank God that you have that kind of story. Secondly, there are those of you who the events of your past are such that someone treated you very poorly and perhaps even illegally. And my hope today is that you could see that past through a different lens. I want you to know from the depth of my heart that what happened to you doesn't need to define you it doesn't need to affect every single relationship it doesn't need to Im- become your identity as as huge and as problematic and as painful as it was instead you need to know that if you've come to christ then god can take everything including very unfair things that happened And the Bible says that He loves you and He saved you and He's making you new. And somehow everything in your life works out in accordance to His plan. And there are big gaps with that. And I can't explain all the reasons why. Nobody can, only God can. But that's the point. It is that there's a gap between what you know and what God knows. And that's what makes Him God. And that's where you just have to trust that God somehow, this mess that was not my fault is going to work out for my good. And I just am going to trust you that that is indeed true. And so when feelings come back or flashbacks come, I'm just going to trust you that you know what you're doing and you're bigger than all this junk from my past. Third, some of you may have regretted the thought of coming to church today because anytime the subject of your past comes up, you are flooded with grief and regret and sorrow. And if that's the case for you, I am so grateful that you courageously decided to come to church today. You need to live by the phrase, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You need to remember that God saved you from yourself and that post-conversion those feelings of shame and regret, although those are real at one level, they are not the real you at another. Meaning that God has loved you, He saved you, He redeemed you, He cleansed you, He forgave you, and the beautiful thing about the Gospel is it saves sinners, and we're all big-time sinners. And therefore, to deal with your shame and your guilt, You simply have to keep applying the gospel over and over. I say simply, it's basic, but it's not easy. It means that sometimes every day, and sometimes more than once a day, you have to reapply the gospel and reapply the gospel and reapply the gospel to your heart. And then finally, there have to be a few of you here today that the real issue in your past is that you've never really addressed the fundamental core issue of your identity in Christ. By that I mean that your past is a symptom of a much larger problem. And somewhere, I think inside of you, you know it, the real problem is a sinful heart. That's why you can't stop doing what you're doing and what you need is you need a heart transformation you need to be born again you need a new you and that can't come from you and the bible says that that problem of brokenness in sin is only solved by putting your faith and trust in christ by saying i i cannot run my own life anymore And being done with you and instead saying, Jesus, I repent and I receive you as my Savior. And in believing in Him and putting your faith and trust in Him, you make the first very important and life-changing step towards becoming the identity that God wants you to become. Because when you have Christ, you have everything. And what happens is you now have an identity underneath all other identities, an identity that transforms everything else such that your past is real. It's there. But it's forgiven. It's cleansed. And as far as the east is from the west, so God says those sins are gone, baby. They are gone. And you can stand knowing that Christ, I am a sinner, but you are my life. And if you've not come to Christ today, oh, I would urge you even now to say, Jesus, come now and be my Savior and make me new because I want Christ to be my life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would apply... Grace, balm to our hurting hearts today for the things that we have done and the things that have been done to us. Pain and shame both are wearying to our souls. Lord, I pray today for... Lord, there has to be some people in this room who are just, they're not converted. I pray that today, today, oh Lord, today... They would come to faith in your son. Now, churches were just about ready to end. I'm going to give you a few moments before you're dismissed. Just to be able to talk to the Lord. Does it relate to suffering? Does it relate to your own failures? Maybe it relates to conversion. Give you just a moment before the Lord to quiet your hearts. When the music plays, you can be dismissed. Or you may just need to linger in this room for a little while, whatever you need to do. But let's just talk to the Lord. Let's be quiet before Him.